Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Transcript Podcast. You've got me, Scott Krisloff. I'm editor of the Transcript, along with Eric Mokai, who's our lead author. We sent out a new issue of the newsletter yesterday, and there was a lot of good stuff in there as usual. There were a lot of catalysts in there. Something that we saw, which just continues strengthening the economy, inflation really seems to be the topic of the day. And yeah, what were your thoughts, Eric? I mean, same. My surprise is, I think, how aggressive some companies say that they want to be in terms of increasing prices going forward. So I think that caught me a little bit by surprise. I thought, like, since they've raised, it would be a bit tempered on that. So very, very interesting to see that. But also, obviously, that the price increases they've taken so far have not affected the consumer. And so when you ask why, of course, Brian Moynihan, our usual guy, had answers to that. So the consumer is still strong. They still have a lot of money in their account. Apparently, they haven't spent down what they had and the consumer is generally doing well. But the key question, which I also keep asking myself, is so at some point in the near future, the consumer will get tired of the increasing prices and start substituting maybe the products which have gone high with products that are maybe within the, 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 the range where they can afford. But also something that I noted is, I think I saw a comment on Twitter about it. It's like uh, high premium brands are doing very well the kind of high-end products and then the the retailers who serve the middle to low uh, kind of income consumer, they are doing well, but not as well as the other high premium brands. That's what I've heard. I don't know. Have you seen anything like that yourself? Yeah, I do think that the cost of living stuff is really starting to impact psychology here. I don't know that it's impacting spending yet. That's what we picked up from Brian Moynihan this week, that it's not impacting spending and from other companies as well say the demand of elasticity isn't there, but I'm hearing more people talk about inflation just, you know, in random conversations. And I think it's becoming a big political issue too. I'm noticing that in some of my political contact circles, inflation coming up more and it actually being like a primary issue that is being picked up for the 2022 midterm elections that people are seeing. So I think inflation is a big deal and there's going to be increasing pressure on the Fed to act more quickly, I think, right, coming up soon. And that's going to have a big impact on securities markets probably. So I think that's a, that's a big issue. And then I think the other big things hanging over, you know, markets in the world right now is just what's going on in, in Eastern Europe and Russia. That seems to be a source of something that people are, are watching after and a potential source of inflation on the energy side. You know, I think it's, uh, it could be a, a buy the rumor, sell the news sort of moment for energy, actually, no matter what happens. But I don't know, what's your perspective sitting in Europe, watching what's going on over there? I mean, I would say that, as I said before, like lately in the past few weeks, uh, we've seen even in the quotes themselves an increasing attention being paid to geopolitics, which is pretty unusual because we've done the transcript for like, for five years, like, or like, or even longer. And we rarely see geopolitical comments like popping, uh, in transcripts, but this past couple of weeks has been a heightened sense in which like even executives are addressing this. So seated in Europe, I would say the war is mostly about Russia and whether that they would invade Ukraine and the impact that would have on energy prices, which are already really high around Europe. So, I mean, that's that in itself. And of course, Europe having to choose a side. I think one of the key issues is whether Ukraine wants to join NATO or not. And I think that's what Russia is opposed to also. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know how this plays off, but I would guess like because they have, 
all these countries are now massively endowed with weapons of mass destruction. They would not want to, to go to a mutually destructive kind of war. So they, I hope the calm, calm times prevail and we don't have any uh, issues arising going forward. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think your comments about geopolitics making its way into earnings call is, is really interesting. I think the most interesting quote actually on the geopolitical side was the one from Intel talking about how uh, governments are looking at semiconductor supply as being strategic from a geopolitical standpoint now. And that's that's true. I mean, like I was thinking today, actually, like, okay, let's say Putin does invade Ukraine. How would the U.S. respond? You know, 50, 60 years ago, we would have pumped out a bunch of planes and tanks and sent them over to our allies. And, you know, there would be war material building up. But like, we don't really have a supply chain for that. That's something that COVID proved is that there is a shortage of, of supply. Our whole supply chain is internationally focused now and centered, especially in Asia, that if the United States wants to produce something, we don't really have the capacity to produce anything domestically, not in the same way that we were like the manufacturer of the world, which I think after World War II, we had some insanely large percentage. I, I want to say like 65% of the world's industrial production capacity was in the United States at that point. And so, yeah, that's not, that's not the way things, things are today. So if you need, if you, if you have a need to produce physical goods for some reason, the United States is no longer like the place to go for that. But his bet going forward is that he wants to turn that around. He say, I think the court says in the, uh, like a while back, was it like 30 years ago? It used to be like 80% of semis are being manufactured in the U and Europe. And now 80% of them are being manufactured in Asia now. So I think he wants to turn that around to at least raise, especially the U.S. part of this from 12% to 30%. So I don't know how that's, uh, he, say, he calls it his moonshot idea going forward. And he's playing around the fact that uh, governments want this. They want to have like the, the chips manufactured maybe in the U.S. And that's what he wants to play around to get money to actually fund all these projects going forward. So I called it, I, I looked at it as Intel being a geopolitical play going forward, if that's what you want to. to yeah, no, I mean, I think your break glass in case of emergency playbook should have some companies that benefit from domestic manufacturing in the US at least, or probably in Europe too, you want to be in, invested domestic manufacturers because there is a risk scenario in which those manufacturers are relied on with, for their capacity, basically. It's going to create the very inefficient supply chain systems, but I think that's what it, it that's what happens when countries create their own silos in terms of their supply chain to the end of the day. Yeah. You have like periods of openness and trade in the world that the periods of closed trade in the world historically, I mean, hundreds of going back hundreds of years, and we've been through a period of very open trade and that's good if everybody can get along, but if there are antagonistic relationships between countries and countries that have territorial ambitions and are, you know, misweighing the scale of trade in an unbalanced way, then that can come back to bite you. And I mean, people have been saying that this could happen for probably three or four decades with China and Japan previous to that. And so like, honestly, given the way things have unfolded over the last several decades, it's unlikely that calamity is going to happen, but you know, there certainly seems the margin 
toward to be a trend towards industrial nationalism. Definitely. Um, I would say uh, maybe something else, which is away from that the geopolitical issue that I noted, was about subs- subscription fatigue. It intrigued me because I've been think I've been wondering myself because uh, I've been taking a few subscriptions because sometimes if you need a particular movie, then you you go to Netflix. It's only available on Netflix, and if you this Game of Thrones is only available on HBO, and then you get a HBO account, but then. At some points, these accounts become too many for you to actually just keep going around. So I think it's interesting that companies like Roku and the trade desk also are noticing this subscription fatigue. They can't be in all these accounts and at some point I have to just use. And you go back to the ad-based model, which you were running away from in the first place. So it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a tension around that business models now, is it? Are you going to be ad-based or subscription-based purely or some mix of those? It is really interesting. And I think it's, there are big changes happening in the media, entertainment, and advertising spaces right now, where you, you look at all of the money that's trending towards digital and towards social media, and you're seeing the impacts that you have with the Apple and now Google privacy changes. And the way that that'll impact the ability to serve ads to people on those networks. And then the subscription fatigue thing, it's so funny. You picked up that quote and literally this weekend I was dealing with the same issue where we were looking to watch a show that a friend had recommended and it was on Hulu. And we were like, I don't want to subscribe to Hulu. Hulu has an ad-based subscription option, but even that's like five bucks a month or something like that, which is like, I literally just want to watch one show. You know, it's a, it's a, different world. I would totally watch ads in order to watch that show. But yeah, you can see, you can imagine that there'll be increasing share companies that are served for content with an advertising base. And it's like, we're going back to a linear TV. It's, it's so, it surprises me also because at, at the end of the day, also customers still want, it's, it's we, we insert, we are not as a, a, a seriously difficult time where companies are going to have to figure out what the optimal business model is. So first of all, they're not going to be ad tracking. So you can't give people relevant ads in the first place if you don't have these identifiers tracking them around. And then secondly, people don't want to, they don't want to pay for many subscriptions at the same time. They want a few ads. So how are you going to balance out this model such that you serve them relevant ads and yet they're able to pay a little at the end of the day? So I think that's going to be very interesting as it goes, as you go ahead, yeah, in terms of business models. Anything else you might have picked yourself? I think going back to the geopolitical stuff, there was a quote we had in the newsletter as well that was about coal demand in China. And I think that's another another important catalyst to note. I, I don't know that I could personally like feel morally or ethically responsible investing in coal, but coal is still a major energy source for China and doesn't seem to be slowing down. And you have the same sort of imbalances in terms of supply and demand that you have in, in the oil and gas space with coal. And you probably have even more negative sentiment towards coal to, to the point that you could have a real spike in coal prices based on sentiment turning if the demand for coal picks up based on Chinese demand for coal. So that is a poten- potential investment area that's worth noting. Again, I don't think I could personally do it but worth noting to listeners. I agree. Just this week, I think the visual capitalists, they had like a really good chat depicting 
that by 2024, in terms of coal production, China is going to account for 50% of it because they don't, they don't pay that much attention to, let's say, like global warming and all. So I think looking at those kind of stats and of course, countries like India also going to focus an increase of around 24%, 20% in terms of coal production. So you find like their companies which have given up on coal, I think they, it's Glencore, which uh, I think sold some of their assets to other companies. But then what, is that, what that has created is actually a shortage of coal because the world needs coal in the meantime as it transitions towards green energy. So you, you're caught up in this catch-22 situation where you, is not enough coal. We don't want to produce coal, but we need coal in the meantime. I think that's what's pushing up some of these prices, like something like was it nine percent last year alone? So coal, coal was around, around eight percent last year in terms of trading coal itself. So I think the reality is that we are going to need coal for a while. The challenge is with with the investors becoming increasingly conscious about the impact that their actions are having on the environment, whether this is a sustainable trade. I wouldn't do it either. Uh, but I think it's good. It's it's worth noting. Yep, definitely. Anything else, or good place? Um, I, 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 I don't. I don't have much to add. But I would say, like the Chelly Manga interview, uh, it's a really good one. If you have time, have a have a listen. He had some really nice thoughts, and what uh, one of the quotes at the end was about managing expectations as being the key to a balanced life. So having realistic expectations. So I think I thought that's a good point to end the today's call. So see you this week on Thursday. We have our quarterly Twitter space from aftermarkets close in the U.S. and send out a link uh, with this week's newsletter. We'll have some rope and Alex Morris uh, from the Science of Heating. And uh, so they'll be joining us on the usual uh, quarterly review of the key themes that we show uh, that we saw. Uh, come ask questions, give us feedback so we can be able to make the product even better. So in the meantime, thank you and see you later this week. Thank uh, you.